In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey, Rob. Josh Beckelheimer here. I'm looking forward to hearing more of your uh, deep dive of the BX. Um, I'm a bit younger and started playing D&D with 3.0, 3.5 and got out of it for years and uh, got back into the game maybe five years, six years ago or so with the OSR. I found Swords and Wizardry and was kind of hooked on that and then it made me want to discover all these older original games and BX is the one that I truly prefer. It is so easy. I mean, in the format of it, you can just, a kid can read it and understand what's going on. I think it's well put together and really open to making it your own game. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Down on the Heat podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you, at least for this segment, from the parking lot of my new employer in White Bear Lake, Minnesota. Beautiful White Bear Lake. You heard there from Josh Beckelheimer, a new caller to the show, but an old hat as far as Anchor goes. He has a Anchor podcast, JB Publishing, that he's just resumed and uh, after a little bit of a hiatus. So welcome back, Josh, and thanks for the call. I do plan on uh, carrying on with the BX uh, deep dive, but... For today, it's going to be a call-in bonanza because I had 12 calls, and if I tried to incorporate all of them into the next installment of the deep dive, we wouldn't get <laughs> we wouldn't dive very deep that episode. It would be like a 10-minute segment or something, uh, which yeah, maybe that's what people want. Anyway, I I play every call pretty much that I get uh, back on my show. I think that's the the least I can do is respond to people who take the time to call in. And I think most of the anchorites do that as well. But, you know, there are some people that call in that don't have a podcast. Most of the callers do have their own podcast and therefore have, you know, a, a, a place where a platform where they're they're talking about their ideas and stuff, but more of these, these are more conversations. And with, with people that don't have a podcast, this is the, their opportunity to have the conversation. Um, but yeah, Josh, um, you are, I think a little bit younger than me. Um, and I did not have any exposure to third or fourth edition or Pathfinder. So I'm, I never really, um, well, I didn't give that a shot at all because I never played it. Uh, it doesn't really sound like it's my cup of tea. I'm glad that you've come back to take a look at the older editions because, um, I mean, my reference point is 5th edition and ad nauseum. You know how I feel if you've listened to my back catalog. I do agree that Swords and Wizardry is a cool game. I only have the complete version, which is a, I think, basically a retro clone or a reimagining of all the booklets in addition to the original three little brown books, all the supplements, Greyhawk and 
um, eldritch wizardry and all that stuff, and some of the early strategic review issues. Um, I like that, but I, I do like BX better. I think it's more streamlined. I think it's a more coherent system in general. Uh, I think Tom Mulday and whoever else helped him with this uh, edition did a great job of coming up with a more intuitive or at least a um, more cohesive collection of mechanisms that make sense across the board. But uh, thanks for calling in. Hope to hear more from you in the future. Yo, what's up, Rob? It's Joe. Uh, thanks, man, for the nice stuff you had to say about my show in your response to my call in. And I just wanted to say that I really enjoy this dive uh, that you just took, dude, because I've never read that. I was, you know, I was, <laughs> I was two years old when that came out. So uh, I really appreciate it, dude. So I hope you keep going with it. Anyway, man, have a great one. Peace out. Hey, thanks, Joe, for the vote of confidence. Uh, I will keep going and dive deeper into all aspects of BX, hopefully uncovering some often overlooked gems. Next up, we've got Darren Green, better known to some in the Anchorite sphere as Arfed. Take it away. Arfed here. Uh, just going back through some of your back catalogue and listening to when you were discussing the variable weapon damages. Um, I played a couple of games where the, the system sort of says everyone does the same damage, D6, whatever it is. Um, and I've got similar feelings to you. I, I, I find it gets a bit boring and sort of flatlines the characters. Uh, I know a lot of people like it and uh, there's lots of sort of discussions and arguments for why they like it and simplifying it. But I found a lot of the systems have then tried to add little mechanics back in to sort of deal with, well, well he has actually got a two-handed weapon, perhaps we should give him some sort of bonus or oh, yeah he's got advantage on weapon damage or um, I find it sort of equalizes the characters like I was saying so everyone's the same so I'm not saying I wouldn't play in any of these games um, I like to play in all sorts of varieties of games and happy to play it if, if that's the system that people are using but I wouldn't prefer to be in those games. Uh, I like the classes to show a bit of difference. Um, I'm currently about to start my own system and I've gone with something that you mentioned where fighters do D8 damage, um, whatever weapon they use. Uh, the, the magic users only do D4 damage. Um, and I think that's more of a feeling with some of the old games where Wizards could only use sort of daggers and staff, so it limited their damage. Whereas fighters could use sort of any weapon. I like giving fighters more options because they haven't got other special abilities like spells and things. So uh, customization of their weapons, whether it be two-handed or sword and shield, gives them something to do. Cheers. Last message regarding the uh, different damage for weapons. Uh, I was saying about my system, I'm, I'm doing sort of class sort of damage as it were but I've still got modifiers for weapons so um, a magic user for instance can have a two-handed staff and get plus one damage 
Uh, whereas a fighter, if he's using a two-handed weapon, he'll get plus two damage because I just see that a two-handed sword is probably a lot more dangerous than a, a two-handed uh, stick, basically. Um, so, yeah, small weapons like daggers get a minus to damage. Um, so I've put a few extra little bits in there, but I think that the, the weapon damage is, it, it can be a way to make the characters different and just yeah just put a bit of spice into the game so I, I don't like to oversimplify it in that way anyway cheers there it is triple jackson from our fed thanks so much for calling in darren and uh exploring some of the back catalog yeah i i hear what you're saying on this it's uh it's not my cup of tea and i certainly respect the fact that other people do like having the the simplified version of combat like you i think it makes the characters seem too samey um i appreciate that some <clears throat> like to make it so that the the players are choosing weapons for their character based on you know some kind of cool vibe or just what they envision their character using and they don't want to be inhibited by some mechanism making their their choice of using a dagger or using a club or a staff is somehow suboptimal to uh, the idealized sword and board fighter or something but I don't know I'm not a simulationist but on the other hand yeah I think there are clearly better choices and um, I get sucked out of the the game when there are really basic realities that aren't, I don't know, considered. Uh, clearly, there, <laughs> there are some weapons that are better than others. As you point out, uh, a two-handed sword is going to inflict more damage on someone than a stick, uh, even a big stick. But uh, I mean, I am interested in hearing more about this game you're developing, though. I like the idea of having fighters have uh, just a higher damage die than a magic user and stuff like that. So it's based as much on class as it is upon the weapon. So if you don't start a podcast of your own, um, hopefully we'll hear more about it on uh, an episode of Spike Pit or something coming up. So thanks again for the calls. And now... Moving on to Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast with some thoughts on initiative. Hey, Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Just listen to the first part of your deep dive, part one. So initiative, I think, oh, real quick, I, I do think you're probably missing out by not making people go to tutors and paying to level up. Because like you say, you can ask minerals and characters as their tutors, right? So I think like Daredevil, you know, he has Stick as his teacher, and you have that tension there and maybe missions and things. So there's some cool things there. Um, as far as initiative goes, <laughs> I've been thinking about this some more. You know, now that we have all the fancy dice and all, why not do a dice chain in initiative? You, you know, you, you have obviously the fighter would have a higher die than the, you know, you, you'd have different die for the different classes. And... Now with a modern dice chain, with a modern dice chain, like a DCC style dice chain, you've got what, 10 or 12 steps in the dice chain, something crazy like that? You, you know, 
and go D2, D4, D5, D6, D7, whatever. So you could have every, say, four levels, the characters go up, and you throw their dex bonus in there. But, you know, so a wizard starts with a, with a D2 or a D4 or D3, whatever. You know, a thief or a cleric is next. A thief would be next, and then the fighter would be the top. So a fighter might start like a D8 for their initiative die, you know, plus dex. And then every however many levels they go up, one die in the chain. You know, that might be the way to do it. And that way, if a, even if, if a fighter rolls bad, they can still roll one initiative. But on their best day, a wizard's never going to beat a fighter on his best day. So I think that that might do what you're looking for. Oh, I guess I rambled there a little bit, but the last thing I wanted to mention is I think the idea of having another player, especially a distracted player, track your initiative or whatever is a great idea. I think that's a really awesome idea, especially in a face-to-face game. You know, what well, that might not work out so much on an online game, but in a face-to-face game or like in a game shop or something, the person always looking the phone, say, hey, can you help me out, man? Can you do the initiative? That is gold right there. So, awesome. Um, I'm about to work, so I'm going to have to listen to the main part of your episode after work. Sorry about that. I apologize for slacking, but I will call you tonight after I listen to that. Talk to you later. There we go. Back-to-back triple Jacksons. I love it. And uh, Jason, I, I agree. I think, I think uh, there is some kind of lost opportunity by not delving into uh, training and mentors and things like that. I think it could add some interesting aspects to the game. It would be a matter of just hammering all this stuff out. And, you know, one of the things I, I think that would be ideal for is filling some between-session play via email or text or however you go about it, if you have some kind of forum or, um, I don't know, some kind of way that you're communicating with everybody in the group or even just separately with, with each person that you have these interludes between sessions where you could explore some of their interactions with an organization they're part of uh if it's a cleric the religion that they're part of uh a guild or whatever that they're working with to receive training and becoming an operative or agent for or something it's there's a lot of uh meat on the bone there um it's all a matter of trying to get player buy-in in it uh and the other part, I think, is that you don't want it maybe taking away so much from table time. Uh, I think it could be something that's really interesting as a, a one-on-one exchange between the DM and that player, uh, but it might not be so interesting to the other players hearing about other people's training procedures and interactions and stuff. But yeah, the, something I'm going to have to think about as well. Initiative, I, I'm totally on board with the idea of um, if you are going to differentiate between classes or experience levels and things like that, if that's going to have an impact on initiative, I really like the idea of the dice chain rather than uh, simple bonuses. For the fact that, as you point out, if you're using a die, there's still that range of possibilities at the low end. You start awarding bonuses and you're raising the floor and the probability probability curve and eventually you get to the point where unless the 
you know, higher level warriors facing another higher level monster or warrior, uh, warrior that are, there's no chance that they can lose initiative. But if they're rolling a d12 and they're facing off against uh, some lowly man-at-arms who's only rolling a d4, well, there's still a remote chance that something's going to happen and that man-at-arms gets the drop on him. I kind of like, actually, I'm getting more and more into that, that concept of a dice chain rather than pluses and minuses to, to die rolls for that reason in a lot of regards. It just, uh, I like the range of possibilities rather than having a floor where, especially where bonuses start mattering more than the actual die roll. It's, I, um, I get a little frustrated in systems where, where the bonus for having a high strength matters more than the actual weapon you're using or what level you are or whatever. Uh, what was the last thing that... Oh yeah, the idea of having a designated player tracking initiative for like an individual initiative and stuff and potentially using someone that has a tendency to become distracted or disengage a little bit or look at their phone, all that. And choosing that person as the initiative tracker to try and reel them back into the action at the table. I'm glad you like that idea, and I'm kind of eager to try it. Uh, if you do, or if anyone else tries that, let me know if it worked. Let me know if it helped re-engage that player. Um, I don't know, I should do a whole episode on phones and, <laughs> and just... Uh, player etiquette at the table and stuff, or gamer etiquette at the table, uh, in those regards, it's something that I guess I, I try not to let get under my skin, and I, I've probably been guilty of it myself, too, from time to time, of, of being the cause for distraction or whatever, but I don't know, just put down the phone, people. You're here to game, right? Um, as a DM, when I look over at the players and someone's, uh, yeah, deep in their phone. At, I don't know. I don't want to be an ass because, you know, some people maybe are tracking legitimate issues with family or work or whatever like that. I don't want to tell them, you can't have your phone at the table. It's not, it's not a third grade, third grade classroom. But on the other hand, if it's not anything pressing, can it just wait until the session's over? Ah, all right. Uh, next, uh, Jason has another flurry of calls, this time about the whole BX Deep Dive. Let's hear what he has to say. Okay, this is Jason again. I'm on my way home from work now. Finished your podcast, BX Part 1, Deep Dive. So, I'll admit a little bit of um, <laughs> a little bit of embarrassment here. It shows how far the retro clones and whatever we want to call them have come. When I saw BX Deep Dive, I was thinking BX is in, is his name Galvin Norman, the, the guy that's doing OSE now, Old School Essentials, his previous game was BX, I think BX Essentials maybe, but I thought you were going to be reviewing that game, not the old, you know, Mulvey Cook BX. So, there you go. That, that's how much all these new games have pervaded things that I, did, I didn't think you were going to be doing the original. 
which is fine. I mean, I'm not complaining at all. But, yeah, it's kind of funny. Well, or maybe it's kind of sad, not kind of funny. But either way, I think we've talked before. Um, I'm not sure that we really need all these retro clones and different games. I'd be okay playing all the original games myself. But, you know, the new ones are out there. That's what people talk about. So, unfortunately, that's what came to mind. As far as representation and all that, if I don't worry about that with older games. I don't even think about it with older games, to be honest, because it doesn't do you any good. It's not like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, with the older games, I just don't worry about it. If I bought a new game today and everybody was white males, yeah, that'd be an issue. Or sexually presented females, that'd be an issue. You know, in a new game, I expect there to be a variety, you know, I expect the genders to be, um, yeah, up to another minute. You, you'll be able to see from the timestamps of the messages. I mean, I literally am on my way back from work now, so long day. Anyway, you know, I expect gender representation, you know, across the classes. I expect a variety of skin tones, right? But, you know, in, all, in a new game, that is. You know, if I pick up a Y handler or Pathfinder or D&D 5th edition, I want to see representation. I want to see diversity. If I pick up a 1980 game, eh, I, you know, it's what it is. I'm not going to cry over something that happened. That, that sounds crass. I, I do care about those things, but I don't, I'm not going to choose a 1980 game or not choose a 1980 game because of that, personally. So, I do think it's important in new games. And I do think it's important when we're looking for new players. So, it is a discussion that could be had. Anyhow, I'm sure I could have done all that much more concisely. And if you, you just want to summarize all this and not play my voicemails, you, you sure won't hurt my feelings. So, thank you for suffering through them. And thank you for putting out the episode. And I look forward to the next part in the series. So, take care. Hey, thanks, Jason, for uh, all the thought you've put into uh, my various podcasts here and stuff and taking the time to reply. It's, uh, it's good to hear. I like, <laughs> I like hearing that people are interested in, uh, in the stuff I'm putting out there. And I, <laughs> I do think it's hilarious that, um, yeah, we've come so far with retro clones and stuff that uh, when you say BX, you're not even really sure if you're talking about, all right, original BX or BX Essentials. And that's maybe why Gavin Norbin... Uh, decided to rename it to Old School Essentials. Um, and speak of the devil, those uh, those uh, new items from Gavin Norman, the Old School Essentials box and rules tome, have now dropped all the Kickstarter backers, and we're starting to see uh, some unboxings and hopefully some actual reviews of the product and stuff too, uh, whether or not, especially like the actual new rules that he's put in there for advanced options and and stuff the kind of making the concepts in AD&D the classes and races and stuff like that from AD&D and spells and retrofitting it onto a BX chassis I'm I'm interested in hearing about that um but uh yeah I think for the most part yeah restatements are not something I'm real interested in as I went over in the in the whole time capsule episode. 
The one cool thing that I think is going to come out of the whole old school essentials release is just a resurgence of an enthusiasm for the the BX system itself. So that I am looking forward to, and hopefully there'll be more podcasts and games and releases that are geared towards that system. And I totally get as well the enthusiasm and nostalgia wave that people have for getting a box set. I mean, box sets are cool. And opening up that box and finding some glossy new uh, digest-sized books that are all state-of-the-art layout and stuff and maybe some cool new art and stuff is is pretty enticing. And I'll probably end up caving and buying them myself <laughs> at some point, provided I have the discretionary income. But as to the other part of your calls talking about the makeup of the staff and diversity that existed in uh, the design team and play testers and whatnot for the BX system way back in 1980, 81, I'm kind of with you. I don't really pay much attention to it uh, in general. However, I do think that there's a segment of the gaming populace that seems to have this notion that these old games were all kind of, I don't know, if they if some believe they were designed to be off-putting to certain segments of the population or were just representative of some mindset that all the designers had, this, you know, privileged white male point of view, and I'm sure, you know, if you parse it enough, you could probably find evidence of that. It's, it is what it is. It's, it's a prod, product of its time and place. In 1981, there was no real concern or awareness about having a diverse staff of contributors. It, it just, that kind of idea didn't really exist. At least not not how I was exposed to it, and I, I come from an area very close to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, so it's, uh, I think it's safe to say that the environment that all these guys grew up, Dave Arneson, his group, St. Paul, it's, you know, 15 miles from my house, and um, at that time, it isn't, was not, and still isn't really, a very diverse community from an ethnic, racial point of view. It's it's still very white. And um, I don't think there, I mean, I don't think it was at all an agenda of some sort from TSR. I think they were all pretty pragmatic, pragmatic or at least hopeful developers and designers that wanted this thing to succeed and make money and become popular. Uh, I very much doubt that they wanted to exclude women or any segment of the population from playing this game. It just happened to appeal more to a certain group of, of people and was marketed through game stores and comic book stores for the most part, at least initially. And the customers for all those kinds of shops were also almost all white men 
So that's how it spread. Uh, the, you know, the by word of mouth, more or less. And we see now at the end, 40 years later, that it is reaching more corners of society. And it's becoming more popular with women as well. And I think that's great. But I wanted to go out of my way to show that, if anything, the BX box sets, I think, were ahead of the time in trying to reach out to girls as well as boys to try and get them to play these games. And um, I don't know. Maybe I'm living in some kind of naivety bubble or something, but I don't think uh, I find much evidence of exclusion. I think what you find in general is that there are individuals and individual groups that were jerks or that had an agenda of not allowing, there's no girls allowed in our group or no one who doesn't look like us in our group. But I don't think that was anything driven by the gaming community as a whole or by any specific game companies I'm aware of. I think that's symptomatic of individual people. And that's where most problems and things break down. All right. We got one last call sneaking in. Lucky 13, Evil Jeff, first time caller to the heap. Take it away, Jeff. Rob, it's Evil Jeff. Finally getting to listen to your podcast here. And now that you're doing the deep dive into BX, definitely uh, put that at the top of my list to listen to all the time. Appreciate the little nugget there. Uh, defining the monster. I think I had forgotten that. Um, great definition. And I do believe you're correct in that BX does a much better job of defining things for us. You know, it really is a better instruction manual for how to role play and defining why rather than some of the other things, especially the AD&D of the 1E time frame. All right. I'll keep up the good work. So, what? What? No, that wasn't froth. Get your ears checked. What is up, everybody? I'm Froth. Welcome back to the Thought Eater podcast, Thought Eater blog. Or is it down in a heap? (laughs) Who can say? (laughs) Thanks for calling in, Jeff. I appreciate it. And the little jab at me. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with you about the whole, your whole assessment there, BX. I think it is a... Uh, easier system to learn off of. I think in general it's an easier system to work with. And this isn't to bash AD&D. I played a lot of first edition. I played a lot of second edition. I had a lot of fun with both those games. I just happen to think that uh, BX is a better fit for me now. And um, yeah, monsters, I think that's an interesting description that they have. Anything from a humble merchant to a dragon. <laughs> Is a, is a monster, and I don't know, is that, uh, I guess they don't even have to really be adversaries, do they, they're, as they're defined, but it might be helpful to think of, uh, you know, anything that's not a player being a monster, but, hmm, I wonder, does that even mean henchmen are monsters? Hmm, better watch your back, that torchbearer bringing up the third rank. You might just toast your ass. All right. Thanks, everyone, 
for calling in on the calling bonanza. I don't think I ever had 13 calls before. Um, thanks for listening. Hopefully I'll release the second installment of the BX Deep Dive in the next day or two. And until then, don't go down in a heap.